Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Oh, good morning, Christ Community Church. We can do better than that. Come on. I mean, come on. The Buckeyes won yesterday. You know, it's a little rainy, but we need it. So let's try that again. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Much gooder. Much gooder. Uh, this morning, we, you know, basically kind of kick off a new sermon series. Really, Jay Warner Wallace kicked it off last week. I hope you were here, and I hope you heard Detective Wallace and enjoyed it. Uh, he's a great, great guy. He and, uh, he and I have become really good friends, and, and you know, he, he flies all over the country presenting his defense of the Christian faith as a former cold case homicide detective, and... You know, he does that basically. He lives off his pension as an L.A. police officer. All that money he makes, and he doesn't make great money doing it, but he makes some money doing it, flying all over and presenting is all to put his kids through college. And so, um, and, and he really came here. He doesn't like to travel much to the East Coast. He came here as a favor to us. And so, uh, Jim kind of kicked this off last week, and we're going to pick it up this week. The rest of the month, we're preaching a series called Jesus According To. So this morning, what I'm preaching on is Jesus according to Netflix. And what we're talking about is the presentations of Jesus in so-called documentaries. Documentaries like Zeitgeist, documentaries like Religulous, that kind of stuff. The claims they make about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to run through those and show the problems with those and all that kind of stuff this morning. And by the way, we'll be done by 1145 so we can beat the Baptists and the Nazarenes to the restaurants. Don't worry, we'll be out of here. But... You know, we're, we really need to focus on this. About 10 years ago, uh, a, do, a so-called documentary called Zeitgeist popped up on Netflix. And when that happened, my phone started to blow up. People were asking me, is this true? Have you seen this? All this other kind of stuff. And so I went and I watched it. And, then, you know, three or four years later, Religulous comes out. I watched it. There's another doc, so-called documentary called God's Not There. I watched it. In fact, when, when I really got interested in Christian apologetics, which if you don't know what that means, that just means the defense of the Christian faith. So that somebody comes to you with an objection to Christianity that you can answer it in a reasonable way. And I got really interested because I was getting so many questions from young people about it. And so I said, okay, I really need to dive in here. And one of the things that Jay Warner Wallace, who was here last week, encouraged me to do, he said, Matt, don't just read Christian apologists, read atheists too. You need to really know what the other side is saying and why they're saying And I said, okay, so I started to read atheists. I'm a pastor who's read every bestseller on atheism in the last 10 years. I've read all those books by Sam Harris, by Daniel Dennett, by uh, Dawkins, all those guys. I've read all those books. Okay, here's what I come away with. As a former atheist who became a Christian and then started reading atheists again, you need to understand something. In our culture, what typically happens is this. Somebody states a lie, and then people begin to repeat it, and at some point, if enough people repeat it, a lot of people believe it. Does that make sense? I mean, Hitler lived by this. Hitler lived that he could build the Nazi party up by, by, by just repeating lies, and, and he did it. So, 
we have this tendency, all of us do, to kind of stake truth on these statements that we hear that are kind of like bumper sticker slogans and that we come to believe are true. We do this in politics, we do this in business, we do this in, in religion. So, for example, um, how many of you ever heard the Frank Sinatra song, uh, New York, New York? You heard the song? And he states in that song about New York City, if you can make it there, you can make it is that factually accurate? I mean, if you took a guy from the west side, upper west side of Manhattan, and you dropped him in Otway on a moonless Saturday night, do you really think because he had made it in New York City, he can make it in Otway on a moonless Saturday night? I mean, I'm pretty sure we'd never see that guy again. You know, the last sighting of him would be from that, like, one convenience store out there with the clerk going, he came in here saying, there's nothing gluten-free in here. And then that's the last anybody ever saw of him. So, but we live by these statements, but these statements are not necessarily factually correct. But if they get repeated enough, people begin to believe them. Zeitgeist, this documentary which premiered in 2007, began to state that the Gospels are fairy tales. And that what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did was they wrote these stories, and, and when they wrote these stories, they based them on the Egyptian and Persian mythologies of Horus and Mithras. And Zeitgeist made this claim. So that caused a lot of Christian apologists like me to go and buy a lot of books we never thought we would buy, I mean, how many of you own original source materials on Persian mythology and Egyptology? Yeah, it was a rocking good time for me, too, let me tell you. But So we, a bunch of people like Jay Warner Wallace and Frank Turek and Greg Kokel and Brett Kunkel and myself, we all go out and we buy these books on Persian mythology and Egyptology, and we start reading, and we can't find anything that they're claiming. And we're like, where are they getting this from? So then a few years later, Bill Maher, a famous atheist, hosts this documentary called Religulous. And he basically just repeats what Zeitgeist stated. And in fact, here's what he does. Roll the clip, if you would, Chris. Moving on. Um, does it ever bother you that the story of a man mm -hmm. who was born of a virgin, was resurrected. Your bio mm -hmm. was something that was going around the Mediterranean for at least a thousand years. We've got Krishna, who was in India a thousand years before Christ. Krishna was a carpenter, born of a virgin, baptized in a river. Are you saying that was written in history? That was written down in well, history, is what you're saying? Absolutely. There's yeah. the, the Persian god Mithra, 600 years before Christ, born December 25th, performed miracles, resurrected on the third day, known as the Lamb, the Way, the Truth, the Light, the yeah. Savior, Messiah. Stop! Blasphema! All I know is that I, can, I don't go by that, here, say that, sir. I go by the Word of God. I know that's what I believe. Well, I believe it. Believe because it, yes. it's true. Okay, it's not that it's but not there's just... there's between truth and what you believe. But in the Bible, it tells us that all things are possible with okay. God, okay? <laughs> Study the religions of the Mediterranean region for a thousand years before. 
many of the gods were born on December 25th. It's no, not a new it's, one. It's not, it's, but it's not. It's funny you should bring that up because, of course, in Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace, <laughs> Anakin is born to a virgin. And really? people see that and they say, wait a second, where have we heard that before? Right. It's not original. But when the Jesus story happened, wasn't original. How so? problem with all those claims. None of them are true. None of them. If you, in fact, if you go on Google right now, you can find Egyptologists. These are not Christians. These are people who have studied ancient Egypt, have studied the mythology of Horus. They will say, none of that is true. And they will actually say, they don't even know where they got that from. So here are a couple problems with that. Number one, Crucifixion wasn't even invented in the time of Horus and Mithras. It wasn't invented for thousands of years later, so how were they crucified? That's one problem. Two, nowhere in the literature does it claim Horus had disciples. Nowhere. Three, the only evidence that Mithras had 12 disciples, he was a Persian god, is one cave painting where Mithras is surrounded by 12 men, and every Persian scholar I can find all says, those are signs of the zodiac, not disciples. Another one. Okay, this one you're going to get a little angry at me with, but just, you're going to have to deal with it. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it claims Jesus was born on December 25th. It doesn't. Nowhere in the Bible does it claim that Jesus was born on December 25th. Hundreds of years after Jesus' resurrection, a number of government leaders were disturbed that Christians and Jews were still celebrating this pagan festival on December 25th, so they decided to take it and use it to celebrate Jesus' birthday. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus was born on December 25th. In fact, we are 99.999% sure he was not born anywhere even in December. Here's why. If you remember the Gospel of Luke, the angels go and proclaim Jesus' birth to who? Shepherds. And the shepherds were where? Out in the fields. Here's the deal. Shepherds in Israel kept their animals indoors from October to March. They only let their animals outside when it was warm enough from March to October. Which means Jesus was born sometime between March and October. And most scholars think it was either April or September. So this whole December 25th thing is a facade. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. 
Nowhere in the Bible do we claim Jesus was born on December 25th. Not true. Nowhere does it state that Mithras was a teacher who performed a lot of miracles. It doesn't state that at all. In fact, we know very little about Mithras, and partly because Mithras was what was called a mystery religion. A mystery religion is where you have to pay entrance into a cult. They teach you secretly. You're not supposed to repeat it. So everything we have on Mithras is second or third hand hundreds of years later. Now, was, was there baptism in Mithras? There probably was because there was baptism in almost every mystery religion, but it wasn't the same as Christian baptism. Christian baptism is a public declaration that from here on out, I identify with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Baptism in mystery religions was a cleansing. It was a bath. The claim that Horus was crucified, died, and resurrected also doesn't hold water. In fact, Horus's brother Seth cut him up into 13 pieces, threw him into the Nile River. Horus's mother Isis, an unfortunate name these days, ordered a crocodile to go retrieve the pieces and put them back together. The crocodile found 12 of 13 pieces. There was one piece that he, the crocodile didn't find, which every man would seem, deem essential. He was then cast into the land of the dead where he remained in partial form forever. Does that sound to you like a resurrection? They claim Mithras was born of a virgin, and Horus was too. There are two problems with that. Horus was born of a widow with other children. How do you get other children? If you are a virgin. She didn't adopt them, by the way. She was not a stepmom. Serious problem there. They claim that the emergence of Mithras and the virgin birth of Jesus is the same thing. Mithras emerged out of a rock. Now, I don't know what your experience has been. But for me, the difference between a virgin girl and a rock is significant. And yet, this is what they claim. And they do this all the time. You go on atheist websites and they're repeating this all the time. There's even a claim out there right now that Jews borrowed the 23rd Psalm from Horus, a hymn to Horus, the Egyptian god. And do you know what their claim is? One line talks about still waters. Seriously? Even I, as a Christian, know that David, when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, was probably not the first person to talk about still waters. Whoopee. And even if there are some general parallels, and they are very general, those can all be explained because 
anybody, whether it's real or false, don't you have some preconceived notions about what a God-man would be like? Wouldn't you expect any God who became man to perform heroic, miraculous deeds? Wouldn't you expect any God who became man to be a teacher and try to teach humanity on a better way to live? Of course you would. That's just common sense. But there's a reason why. Today, when you walk out these doors and go to Bob Evans or wherever you're going to go, you're not going to pass the church of Mithras or the church of Horus. And the reason for that is this simple. Christianity is, and some people are going to push back on me on this, and that's fine because I can prove it. Christianity is the only religion, only religion, that is backed up by eyewitness accounts by people who said, I would rather be tortured and die than deny what I have seen with my own eyes. And you say, oh, Matt, 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 because here's the objection. I go, what about 9-11? Those Muslims were willing to die for their faith. Were they eyewitnesses to Muhammad? See, there's a difference between people who take something on faith and people who claim to be eyewitnesses. There's a big difference. If you remember what Detective Wallace presented last week, here's his experience in 25 years in dealing with eyewitnesses. If you put pressure on them, and they're lying, and there's nothing to gain from lying, they will crack. They crack every time. If they can get off scot-free and just admit they were lying, they will do it. Eleven of the twelve disciples, one committed suicide, that was Judas. The other eleven disciples all died horrendous deaths. They were tortured. Some were boiled in oil. Some were skinned alive. Some were crucified upside down. And every single one of them were were told, take your story back, tell us it was a lie, and we'll spare you. And all of them said, my Lord would not deny me. I saw him resurrected with my own eyes. I will not deny him. Every single one. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? Tells you that the eyewitnesses believed what they saw. They believed it. And as Detective Wallace pointed out, what you get now sometimes is you get guys like John Dominic Crossan, who's on History Channel all the time and all this other kind of stuff. And he says, well, you see, I think Jesus did live. He was crucified. But then I think he was buried in a shallow grave and eaten by dogs. And, and see, the disciples just so badly wanted him to be resurrected that they just had this mass delusion. Here's the problem. People do not have mass delusions. I do not wake up in the morning, look at my wife and go, what would you think of that dream I had last night, huh? Because we don't share that. Delusions are individual. So if you talk to like Navy SEALs who undergo just the most horrendous training, all of them at some point see things, hear things. Because they've had nothing to eat. They've been lying in the surf for 24 hours. 
And some of, like one Navy SEAL said, he saw a shark walking on water towards him. Another Navy SEAL said he saw UFOs. Another Navy SEAL. But none of them saw the same thing. Because delusions and hallucinations are individual. They're not group-based. You don't have 11 people who all just wake up and say, I saw him, did you? Yep, 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 we all saw him. What are we going to get if we tell people we saw him? They're going to kill us. Okay, let's go do that. That sounds like a good idea. You see my point? You can't find eyewitness testimony for Mithras. You cannot find eyewitness testimony for Horus. You cannot find it. And by the way, Horus, according to the Egyptian Book of the Dead and others, was born in November, not December 25th. That also was a lie. Just a bold-faced lie. But you see it repeated again and again and again. There are professors at Shawnee State University that were repeating this. What do you do? What do you do? Here's what you do. Whenever you're faced with an individual who believes this stuff, here's the first thing to ask them. Where is your documentation? What, what are you basing this on? Now they say, oh, I saw Zeitgeist, I saw real no, 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 but where are they getting it from? Because if you can't find it in ancient history, then that's just a claim. Where do you find it in ancient history? What's the original source material claiming this stuff? That Horus was baptized, or where, where is it that Horus raised some guy who was named Lazarus? No, he didn't. Not true. Where do you find this stuff? And if they can't tell you, you tell them, go find it. Typically, when I have interacted with people and they've told me this, they're like, well, I saw it on Zeitgeist, I saw it on Religious, they got to get it from somewhere. I said, okay, you find where they got it from and you bring it to me. Well, I find it on a blog post. Also, blogs not 3,000 years old, please show me the post. Mithras is 3,000 B.C. Horus is 2 to 3 to 4,000 B.C., Show me the Egyptian documents that say Horus was born of a virgin, had 12 disciples, performed miracles, was crucified and resurrected. I want you to show me this. Now, half the time, I never see him again. But I'm hoping they're not repeating that nonsense after that. Because you can't find it. As I said, I was on a, a, a forum yesterday a form among professional Egyptologists because I like to rock and roll all night and party every day. And all of them are talking about this, and it's clear they're not Christian, but they're going, where are these people getting this? We're, we can't find it. We spent our entire lives. Some of them, it's like one guy wrote, he said, I've been reading original Egyptian documents for 35 years, and I have no idea what these people are talking about. And this is not a Christian. He's just irritated that people are just making stuff up about Egypt. It's not there. Now, we're starting leadership training next week here at church. It's, it's basically teaching people to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You can sign up for it out there, and then I'll be emailing you all this week to see what times work out. I know I'm teaching one class on Sunday morning from 9 to 10, but then we can also, do it during the week, if that doesn't work for you, that's fine. Um, 
you know, I noticed because Gary Harrison always falls asleep from the 9 to 10 class. He's not here this morning probably because we had a bet on who would win the Bengals-Browns game. I won. Um, but so we'll be going through all this stuff, and we'll be going through. Part of the training will be answering these questions. Last weekend, when, when Detective Wallace was here, and here's the great thing I love about Jim when he comes to town. He basically says, okay, you've paid a lot of money for me. Use me however you want to use me. What do you want to do? So Saturday at lunchtime, we ate together, and then he gave a presentation to the staff. He helped teach the staff. That night, there were about um, a bunch of students who drove two and a half hours from Kentucky to see him. He went out to dinner with them and answered their questions. And... When he trained the staff, when he sat down, he said, okay, we have been teaching our young people to disastrous results. The majority of young people raised in a church, once they go off to college, they leave the faith. Maj overwhelming majority, by the way. He said, so that's not working, and the definition of crazy is to continue the same thing over and over again and expect different results. He said, we treat our teenagers like they're little idiots when, in fact, they are information sponges who actually can learn more at 16 than someone can at 46. So why are we not challenging them? He said, you need to test and train your students, not just teach them. And he spent two hours with Andrew talking about that on the way to the airport. And so we're changing everything here. The way we do our children's ministry, I guarantee you this, a year from now, 12-year-olds will be walking out of the cave and being able to answer questions about Horus and Mithras that most people who have been Christians for 50 years cannot answer. That will happen. And here's what Jim told me. He said, Jim was actually on staff at Saddleback Church in Southern California. It's Rick Warren's church. He was on staff there for several years. He said his first two years when he was teaching the junior high students and high school students, he watched roughly 80% of his high school students leave the faith as soon as they went to college. So he chucked that model. He went to the test train model working with high school students. The next batch of high school students he had came along, 80% of them stayed in the faith. It was a complete flip. It's time to raise the bar. It's time to stop losing our students. Because here's what we're doing. We are, you guys are paying a lot of money to send your kids to Shawnee State, Ohio State, Ohio University, wherever, and they're being indoctrinated. In fact, Jim had quotes from professors at secular universities saying, you know, the conservatives, conservative Christians accuse me of taking their kids and trying to change them into their parents' enemy, and they are correct. That's got to stop. That has to stop. And a lot of these people who, they have earned PhDs, they're very intelligent. They're repeating this stuff about Horus and Mithras as if it's fact, and it's not. It just is not factually correct any more than if I can make it in New York City, I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. No more factually correct. So when you hear this stuff, 
When you heal, hear Bill Maher, Zeitgeist, or some student or some professor say, now, oh, Jesus, the Gospels, that's just a bunch of stuff copycatted from Mithras and Horus. You can recognize that for what it is. Forgive me? It's a bunch of Horus manure. That is a thank you. It was easy, but it was right there, so I had to take it. That's just there. Now, let's talk about, real quickly, in the, in the few minutes we have left, why it is that Jesus was born of a virgin, performed miracles, died, and was resurrected. Because you need to know this as Christians. First of all, Jesus was not born of a virgin because sex is bad. Sex between a husband and wife is blessed by God. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. How do you think they were going to accomplish that? The very first wedding is in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve. And God says, go at it. That's a good and blessed thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say sex outside of marriage is sinful. Sex within marriage is holy and blessed. It's fine. So it's not because they did not want Jesus tainted by sex. That is not it. The majority, overwhelming majority of theologians today will tell you the reason why the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in Mary's womb was, one, because God wanted to make it clear, this is my work. This is not just a man. This is my work. I am intervening to save you. I am doing this. And therefore, only I, God, deserve the glory. That is why the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus Christ. To show that it was God who was acting. That is one. Two, God needed to, Jesus needed to be both God and man to accomplish his mission. He needed to be God so that God got the glory. He needed to be man because God cannot die. Only man can die. And someone needed to die on our behalf to pay the penalty for the sins that all of us, myself included, have committed. And the simple fact is this. As much as people like to talk and whisper and all that kind of stuff about all the stupid things all of us have done over the years. The moment we, we authentically go to Jesus Christ and say, please forgive me. And if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. That is done. That is buried, that is history. So I hear all the time, such and such is going to your church. He's, you know, he did this, he did that, he did that. If he has come to faith in Jesus Christ since he did that, those sins are covered, they are forgotten, they are gone. And so if that is the way God looks out of it, it is absolute arrogance for you to look like you are above God. If God has forgiven it, what right do you have to not forgive it? That's the way that works. God forgave Paul, who was a murderer. He forgave the disciples who all betrayed Jesus and turned their back on him. He can't forgive you when you screw up? Of course he can. If you're beating yourself up over something stupid you've done, and you've already gone to God in prayer and asked for forgiveness and received it, that's Satan beating you up, not yourself. It's gone. 
One of my favorite stories from the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, excuse me, by Brandon Manning is this. There was a Catholic priest who received, he was at the Vatican, and he received a call, and they say there's a woman in the Italian countryside who says that she talks to God. She audibly talks to God. God audibly talks to her, and she talks back. And the priest is like, yeah, right. Okay. All right, it's my job, fine. Give me directions, I'll go see her. So he went to her. He said, you talk to God? Yes, Father, I do. He talks back to you. You can hear him. Yes, Father, I can. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to go and confess my sins, and I'm going to come back next week, and I want you to tell me. I want you to ask God what my sins were, and then I want you to tell me. The lady said, okay. So he went back to the Vatican. He went into the confessional booth. He confessed his sins. A week later, he drove back to the woman's house. He said, okay, I ask you, have you talked to God? Yes. Did God talk to you? Yes. I confess my sins. I ask to be forgiven. I confess my sins. Did God tell you what my sins were? And the lady said, yes, she told, he told me to tell you this. I don't remember anymore. They're gone. That's why Jesus was born a virgin. That's why he died. Why did Jesus perform miracles? Jesus did not perform miracles to go, hey, look at me. Look at what I can do. Look how powerful I am. That is not why he performed miracles. If you read the Gospel of John, it is very clear that every miracle he committed was a sign, a sign of the kingdom to come. He performed miracles to show people what the new heavens and new earth would be like. So in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no death. That's why he rises people from the dead. In the new heavens and the new earth, no one will go hungry. That's why there is food everywhere. In the new heavens and new earth, there is no disease, there is no sickness, there is no suffering, there is no crying, there is no... He wipes it all away. There is no separation from God. The Jews believed if you had a skin disease, you had to go out from among the people and you had to be away. And Jesus, God himself, comes up and touches and said, now come in. Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. No one will be separated from God. No one. Everyone will come into his presence. And you will be clean. He was showing what the kingdom of God was to be like. He was not just performing miracles. He was teaching. Jesus' miracles are teaching. What we all, all of us who are Christians can look forward to. Some of you here are suffering from illness. Some of you here are recovering from illness. Some of you have been told that you're on the edge of dementia or, 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 or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or whatever. And I am telling you, what Jesus did when he was alive was to show that won't last forever. A day is coming when you will have a clear mind, a perfect eternal body, no temptation, 
no illness, and you will feel complete because you will be in the presence of your God. That day is coming. The Gospels are not a bunch of fairy tales cobbled together from ancient myths. It is the testimony of eyewitnesses who, not, who didn't just see Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they embraced Jesus, they touched his scars. Now, why did he have those scars, by the way? See, this is what God does. Why did Jesus keep his scars? Because the Apostle Paul says that when Jesus returns, we will receive glorified bodies like Jesus' resurrected body. So why did some people not recognize him, and then why did he have the scars? Well, there are two reasons for that as well. First, a glorified body no longer is suffering from age, illness, stress, so forth. So the reason Jesus' new body was at first unrecognizable to some, they came to see it, was because all the 30-odd years of walking through a desert and living that life of swinging a hammer and all that kind of stuff were gone. All of you have a time when you look back and think, man, I wish I still looked like that. That could have been 17, 18, 21. That day will come again. That day will come again. And you're going to be almost unrecognizable to yourself because all that age and wear is gone. But why did he keep the scars? Here's why. Several early church theologians pointed this out. In the time of the Roman Empire, the Romans basically adopted the Greek mythologies and they just renamed the Greek gods. And they adopted them as their gods. So you had Mars and Venus and so forth. And the stories of the, of the Greek and Roman gods were this. They would come down to earth. They would take human form. They'd do whatever they wanted to do. And then they'd go back up to Mount Olympus. They'd go back up into heaven. And they'd forget any promises they made. They'd just forget. Do you know why Jesus kept his scars? To show his followers, I'll never forget. I'm going back to my throne but I'm taking these with me to show you I'll never forget. I won't forget you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And he will. Now, when is that going to happen? I don't know. And neither do any of you Neither does anybody on the radio or TV who claim they know. They always make these predictions. What was it, a couple weeks ago we were supposed to have the rapture? Well, either we're left behind or there was no rapture. The Bible says not even the angels know. Only God the Father knows. Nobody knows. And as weird as it is, and, and this is where I want to end and where I want to piggyback on Jay Warner Wallace's presentation again. What is... The biggest thing that keep people from faith in Jesus Christ. We have eyewitness testimony. We have reasonable answers to any objection you can throw up. 
if you sign up for leadership training, I'm going to put you through boot camp where you can answer any question. What about Las Vegas? What about this? What about this evil? What about this? What about other ways? What about people who've never heard? Answers to all that. Promise you, there are reasonable answers to all that. Here's where most people stumble. My day is I get up, make some coffee, eat some breakfast, get in my car, go to work, come home, watch TV, wake up. I don't see any miracles. I don't see the supernatural. And so what you're telling me is that a Jewish rabbi was killed, rose again from the dead, rose into the heavens, and that trumpets are going to sound, and that he's going to return for all to see, and he's going to cast all sin and temptation out of this world, and all his believers are going to have this new eternal body. It sounds like a bunch of science fiction to me. It sounds weird. It sounds weird because it is. Compared to our everyday life, it's weird. It's strange. Let's just admit that. But as, Jay, as Jim said last week, and I don't know if you caught this or not, here's how he deals with it and taught me to deal with it. Because he actually, he, he's taught me a lot. I, I went back in 2014 to something called Cross-Examined Instructors Academy where I went through a week boot camp of apologetic training and Jim was one of my teachers. And Jim told me this, he said, what do we know, what does every scientist in the world agree on? The Big Bang, that the universe had a beginning. We know this, we can measure it. We know the universe had a beginning. How did that happen? Nothing doesn't create something. How did it happen? Time, space, and matter all came into creation at the same moment. How, without a God, does that happen? Do you know what the most secular atheist scientist will respond to that? We don't know yet. That's the best they can do. Well, we don't know yet. Some have said, oh, oh, oh here's, we have this theory. We have this theory that there's a thing called the multiverse. It's basically a machine that produces universes. And so then they were asked the question, what made the machine? They're going, well, we don't know that yet. I told one of them, I said, I'm actually a little more impressed with God if he made a machine that makes universes instead of just speaking one to existence. That's pretty cool. But you still have this problem of where do you go from there? There has to be something beyond that. Einstein proved, Albert Einstein proved, space Time, matter, all came into existence at the same time. And when he discovered, he said it irritated him because he was an agnostic. And he said he knew it was evidence of God's existence. And so he didn't like it. You want proof of the supernatural? Go outside and look around. The fact that the universe is here and it is perfectly designed for life, that is much more miraculous than a Jewish rabbi raising from the dead. A God who could create all of this just by speaking it into existence, raising a guy up out of the dead ain't that big of a deal. You don't believe in the supernatural? 
look all round. Tell me there's not supernatural. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin because God wanted to make sure everyone knew this is my work. I'm doing this. I'm saving you. I don't have to. He didn't have to. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to rescue us. We're in rebellion against him. He's the king. He's the creator. We, we belong to him. He did not have to rescue us. He could have condemned all of us to hell, and he'd been perfectly right in doing so. But in his mercy upon mercy, he said, no, I'm coming. I'm going to become a poor laborer. I'm going to suffer every single temptation you do. And you, my children, who I created, who I knit together in your mother's womb, I'm going to allow you to torture me and slaughter me for you. That's love. So many people out there right now, e-harmony, tender, all this other kind of stuff, they're looking for love. You've already got love. You can go look for some guy, some girl, all you want who, who will die for you. There's only one person you know would die for you because he already has. He loves you that much. That too is a miracle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for help here. In an increasingly dark time, we ask that you would arm your people with truth just as you have so graciously given us salvation that we do not deserve. I pray that everyone here will become a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples in whatever context they're in. That just as you have commanded in 1 Peter 3.15, that we should always be prepared to give a defense of the hope we have within us. That all of us would learn these things so that we can defend you but may we do it in a gracious way. We don't want to win an argument. We want to win a person to you. Help us to do this. To impact our area. Not to grow this church, but to grow your kingdom to where you get the honor and the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ Community Church, you need something? They can't hear you, so you better say, I'll repeat it. If something happened here today, it'll never happen again. What's that? John and Sarah? Their 68th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary. God bless you guys. God bless you. She's too pretty for you, by the way. <laughs> and I know how it feels, brother. All right. Christ Me Church, you can sign up for leadership training out there. We'll start that next week, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. If we have to have a second session during the week, we'll do that too. God bless you. God goes with you. See you guys. I'm here every other week. Be sure to tip your creator on the way out. See you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.